episode 72 something like that 72 must be um uh, this is a podcast where we interrogate films previously described by other uh, fantasists as masterpieces i am the cold-hearted um hunter of uh, ethnic minorities of the podcast and i am joined as ever by roger um the um yeah, baseball the, 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 the driven <laughs> resistance fighter, maybe, I and mean, that's about as yeah. good as it gets. Here, I mean, suicidal, but everyone, practically everybody is. Well, yeah, yeah, um, yes. Yeah, interesting that I was um, struggling for character. No, there are. Well, we'll we'll come on to it. We are discussing um, 2010's Inglorious Bastards. 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 It makes me think of a, <laughs> a Somerset man saying it, um, but that's probably not how it was meant to come across. Um, it is a Tarantino, our our second Tarantino that we've covered. Though I know you went on and watched Pulp Fiction after yeah. after Res Dogs, um, and it is. Well, I think we may have one of our bigger differences in opinion here. So this is a, uh, well, it's a fantasy story, which may be part of the problem, I suppose, in that it, it bears very little relation to actual events um to, uh, uh, set in uh the closing days of the second world war um and it's the story of uh oh, that's hard as ever with tarantino because it bounced around all over the place but the plot revolves around the entire german high command going to watch the premiere of a film celebrating a german sniper who's uh, taken out 300 allies um, and the plot to take out the High Command, the, the cinema and the Führer all at once Two separate plots in fact that just happen to have the same goal <laughs> That's true actually, I hadn't thought of it uh, That's a good point, which suggests that might be why the Nazis didn't actually do that in reality um, Well, as as I see it the, let, let, let's say something like The Longest Day is a Second World War film. Okay. Or, yeah. you know, that John Wayne Iwo Jima one, which I've forgotten the title of. Uh, uh, the Sands of Iwo Jima? Yeah. Um, that, that is a Second World War film. This is mm. a Second World War film. Film. Yes, it, that it, is a very It is not a at all a film about the Second World War. It is a film about Second World War films. Yes, and I, I read... Um... Actually, I think I read somewhere something saying exactly the same thing, basically, that Tarantino is not interested in the Second World War. He's interested in war movies, and that's what this film is touching upon in a lot of ways. I mean, it opens with the words, once upon a time in Nazi-occupied France, and it it really is supposed to be a bit of a... um, It's basically a war-ish story? It's not even really well, it's a, war a lot story of war in a lot stories. of ways. Yeah, I, I, um, I'm not an expert in Second World War films. I've, I've seen a bunch of the big ones. I've enjoyed quite a lot of them, but I was only spotting some of what were very clearly references here. 
I mean, I suppose the biggest touchstone in some ways is something like the Dirty Dozen. Um, although, well, if if you look at the history of the name, um, the Inglorious Bastards, spelt correctly, is a nineteen seventy eight film, uh, English title uh, of Cal Meladetto Trono Blindato, uh, which is basically a Dirty Dozen remake uh, done cheap on on Italian uh, production. With, yeah, the Italian filmmaking of basically the latter half of the twentieth century is let's see what's popular and do it cheap. Uh, yes, but this isn't uh, a remake of that again. No, it, no, it, it, it isn't. It's sort of, it, it, it just borrows the title, sort of... and a couple of the actors got cameos. Oh, okay, but it's really just as a lot of things are in this film. It's a, a lot of touchstones of, um, and I think that's absolutely right. It, it's uh, it's a lot of Second World War Second World War movies, um, and it's it's a film. You know, it, it's no. Uh, surprised that it's set around a cinema because as you say it's a film about cinema there's a lot of um, uh, Goebbels in it um, or the the fictionalised Goebbels Um, uh, and it's um, it's very Tarantino in that it's quite hip uh, in that it's kind of knowingly kind of self-referential and and kind of cool and um, uh and it uh, bounces around it doesn't really bounce around the timeline but it bounces around the plot um, in a lot of different ways I, um, I'd argue that it, there are basically two strands of plot um, sh- shall we do an yeah. unhelpful synopsis <laughs> an unhelpful well, synopsis with, with, with the this is how the second world war wasn't one the, the um, story but, is not yes. really the major point I think no well, well so we, we, we are introduced to um, uh, Lambda is it Lambda? Lander, uh, Hans Lander, the SS colonel, as he, um, well, as he roots out, uh, he is, his nickname is the Jew Hunter, and we find him on a French dairy farm doing his job and, and rooting out some, uh, Jews which had remained hidden for several years. Um, yeah, because this, so, well, this is 41 in theory when the film starts. Yeah, yeah, um, how did you feel about the the opening scene then, Roger? This uh, um, up up to the point where um, Shosanna, the sole um, uh, the sole survivor, uh, escapes on to further plot development. I thought it was very tense, and, and we're going to come back to this. Yeah. I suspect um, Tarantino is very good at creating a sense of tension. Uh, it, it's that thing I think we've talked about before in the context of Hitchcock. You know, we 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 the audience know that there is a bomb under the table, but the people yeah. talking in the scene don't, and we're waiting for it to go off, and that gives us tension that is not that that will make every line they say fraught with more meaning. Yes, because, and I, I because think we're giving that to it, and it's a very it's tense been, scene. It's a very effectively tense scene. It is, and, and I think by this stage in his career, just the mere fact that excuse me that it is a Tarantino film. Um, in, somehow manages to increase the tension. Hitchcock probably got a similar thing, really, that you know he's not going to shy away from the violence when it happens. My girlfriend pointed me towards uh, an interview um, with Tarantino where he says, um, what I'm doing here is stretching an elastic band and stretching it and stretching it um, and just seeing how far I can get it before it snaps back. And I, I, I think that was actually... I know it was Tarantino himself that said it. Um, yeah, well, there, there, there's a later scene which which is very much the, this, I think, but we'll come back to that. We'll, we'll come back to that, but I, I, I think... For, so for me, Tarantino is uh, very good at creating... 
larger than life, almost iconic, but not quite ridiculous characters. And and Hans Lambda is a, is a classic version the, the, of one the of those. The cool Nazi. Yes, the cool Nazi. They're very polite, but you know, just by the way he's played here, um, by a fantastic um, Christoph Christoph Waltz, which is it's the first time I've seen it. I've seen him in a few other things since, um, but he, I think he's phenomenal here, just as this avuncular friendly. But I, and partially it's playing, you know, I, I feel like I'm being a bit cruel. Um, we have a, a straight man here as the French uh, farmer, and a lot of the tension is not sort of how Christoph Waltz is playing it, it's how uh, the farmer is reacting to him, because he's just yeah. uh, Denis Minochet, um whom I don't think I've seen anything else. But yes, I was very impressed with, with his acting there. I mean, yeah. Waltz does an amazing job. Sure. Yeah. And he, and I would not argue at all with his best supporting actor win, uh, for this performance. But it's a, it, it's a performance. You never forget, or yeah. at least I never forgot yeah. that it is a performance. It's a very good performance. Whereas I felt that Menochet was living it, living the fear. And maybe, maybe that's an acting technique thing, but yeah. Well, I think uh, I, I absolutely take your point. I, uh, my excuse there would be that Lander is, He's, the character is kind of putting on a performance, if that sure. makes sense. It's not sure. just the, the actor. Um, he also, knows... very effective mean, use of uh, subtitling in different languages in this. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, there's a point, um, there's a point in um, some terrible films um, where they say, oh, shall we now talk in English uh, to make it more comfortable? Here, there's a narrative reason for them suddenly starting to talk in English. Um, uh, uh, but there's a moment of me where I thought, oh, why are we talking in English all of a sudden? Um, but there's a very good narrative reason is that the, he suspects the people hiding under the house now can't understand. Um, uh, yeah, I, for me, that, so, uh, again, I'm sure we have, uh, we may have differences about our overall opinion of the film, but the film won me over basically with this scene, which is not, mm. it, it sets if, up... if this had been what the film had been like, I would have liked it a lot better. Okay, okay, fair enough. Well, probably then, we'll talk about the later scene, which uh, is also very good attention, which may be the other part you enter in. Um, but, uh, I mean, all this scene is doing is setting up the character of Hans Lander and um, that Shosanna escapes. And it, it doesn't even... It's not really a necessary scene, but, yeah, it's... it's by gosh, is it tense and... Um, Ends with exactly the kind of explosion of violence um, you would expect, where Lander orders his um, Nazis in to uh, machine gun the floor. I I could not wonder are they going to compensate him for the floor or not because he says that he was going to be rewarded. Uh, but just to see um, the farmer really without putting up much of a fight, just intimidated and realizes he's beaten almost before he gets a chance to do anything. Mm. Just I mean do really the only thing he can do in that situation and, and give up uh give up the people hiding there um it's uh I, I i that journey of um sort of slight confidence to then tension to defeat and then just this explosion um taken on its own as a scene i think it's a really good yeah. and it's exactly what tarantino's brilliant at um and then and then uh, we move over to, uh, he is a lieutenant, I think. Yes, Aldo Rain. Uh, uh yes. By, uh, played by Brad Pitt. Have we, have we talked about Brad? Have we had Brad Pitt in any, I'm sure we must have done. Oh, he was sure in, um, 
He was in um, uh, Thelma and Louise, of course. Yeah. Uh, right at the start of his career. But, yeah, and I, I, I remember him being talked about as mostly a pretty boy in the early years. Um, yes. Certainly in, in the Thelma and Louise days. Uh, and since then, he's done... Uh, well, California, that, you, that you've mentioned, I know, a few times. Oh, yeah, um, Seven... Um, uh, which I uh, I have my problems with, but he's very good in it. Um, uh, Louis in Interview with a Vampire. Um, oh yes, uh, not, not a huge role, but a role in, in Twelve Monkeys. Oh, I like that film. We've never talked about a Gilliam film, have we? But... Mm. Uh, Fight Club, I think, was was the one that caused people to take him really seriously. Yes, yeah, I think he genuinely is a good actor. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure. Uh, I I so of I guess if we have. If you break it down to the kind of, if we're talking about iconic characters in a way, we have three of them here. We have Hans Lander, the uh, SS officer, as this larger-than-life Jew hunter. We have Aldo Rain as um, uh, the kind of the cool, unruffled, um, tough American <laughs> soldier, I guess. Um, uh, and then we have uh, we have um, oh goodness, I forgot. Shoshana, of course, yes. Um, as and the... Dreyfus, of course, because you're thinking of a Jewish name in France. Dreyfus is the one you think of. <laughs> <laughs> there are other names as well, but, you know. Um, of those three kind of iconic characters, um, I think uh, Aldo Rain's the least interesting by far, really. He's he's, uh, he's kind of cool and he's unruffled um, and he's introduced in this kind of... Um, uh, Shouty, um, jingoistic, uh, we're gonna get a hundred scalps from an, each Nazi. Uh, so how did you feel about that scene? Well, it's not so much this scene, to be fair, it, it's the whole portrayal of, of this group. Um, yeah. I, I very much got the feeling, also this is three years later, by the way, so yes, it's, it's 44 and, and everybody knows which way the war is going by. Uh, sorry, yes, yeah, the war's already, um, I, I think that it's after D-Day, isn't it? Uh, uh that wasn't quite close, close to, to it, it, but at the very least, I think least, Hitler get, mentions them they can on get the these coast guys in without any yes. trouble. Yeah. Um, and the feeling I was getting from this was, it's trying very hard to make the Jews, the Jewish soldiers, the Allies in general, look just as bad as the Nazis. You know, these guys kill somebody, those guys kill somebody. These guys torture, those guys torture. And I think, to some extent, this is Tarantino's point. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to this, that, you know, applauding slaughter is in itself a bad thing, which is kind of embarrassing given his history of filmmaking. But, you know, to be fair, I think that's the point. You know, he's, he's saying, yes, this is something you want to watch, but at the same time, it's not something you should enjoy watching. Actually, I'm not... Uh, well, yeah, I, that's certainly one way. I I sort of took it more as a... Oh, a Jewish... I, I think we're both probably circling the same point in a way. I took it more that this is a Jewish revenge fantasy in a way, that, you know, this is... Wouldn't it be... I I felt he was less judgmental about their behaviour and more like, well, they really had it coming um, and this is... Uh, now we're going to show you what it would have been like. Uh, but well, my... we'll, we'll revisit the, 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 the central plank of my argument uh, <laughs> okay, when, when we okay. get towards the end. Uh, my, my problem with this is, yes, it is very easy to get people revved up with scenes of gore and violence. 
Yes. Do you actually need two and a half hours of gory violence and torture to make that point? I feel you probably don't. And I, okay. Um, okay. So, so this this is where I feel this this may turn out to be the last episode. <laughs> uh, because this is the last episode of Ribbon and Memes. Okay. Because I, I'm go, I'm going to strike at one of your sacred cows here. When well, I read 2000 AD as a kid. I got a very similar feeling to this. You know, here are these horrible people doing horrible things, but <laughs> okay. they are bad people. So we're not setting a bad example or providing moral degeneracy in comics or anything. So, so, it, so it's fine to look at this. You know, look a little closer, and it's it's great. You know, it, it's it's all fine. <laughs> and and you, that's you know, very just, much the feeling I got from this as well. You can morally relax and enjoy the show. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, I, I, I've no um, idea. I, I guess Commando Comics might be a better example, but I, I never read those. I I tried a few Commando comics. They're they're not good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a very good point, actually, on both fronts. um, There's an element of trying to have your cake and eat it. um, And uh, there is a part of me that's like, oh, these are awful people doing awful things. But in both 2000 AD, with like Strontium Dog and Judge Dredd and Inglorious Bastards, uh, I feel the characters are... Yeah, it's a funny moral conundrum because they're also presented as heroes, at least in some light. You know, they do, they're trying to do good things, even if the things they do to get the good things done are pretty awful. Well, um, the, the, this is where I, I say that the, the first few issues of Judge Dredd, uh, for example, first few installments, yeah. I guess, in the, in the first issues of 2000 AD, made it very clear that this guy is the fascist villain of the story. Uh, well, and the int- practically everybody except the original authors has failed to notice that about him. Oh, I, he, I am going to take cool, issue with guy. you there. John Wagner has written a very nuanced character with Judge Dredd, and anyone else that tries to write him, I think, really struggles to get across. The interesting thing about Judge Dredd is it's sort of a blank canvas onto which you can project this fascist cop or this hero or this complex... You know, he did a whole... With the America Saga, he did a whole series on democracy and how that is treated in Megacy. I'm going to segue away from Judge Dredd. But I think that's a bit of a harsh reading of Judge Dredd. Uh, also, he was, he was written, uh, he evolved over time with his writing. But, um, uh, here, okay, to move, to move back to the, the bastards, uh, the bastards, the bastards, uh, the bastards, um, uh, I, I, I'm almost more in agreement with you than I am with 2018 in the sense, I, I think Tarantino is more interested in, uh, film referencing and characters and cool scenes than making moral points in mm. his films. Uh, and so I wonder if you're crediting him with a bit too much, um, almost saying that he's saying these people are bad. I, uh, my problem, I, I always preferred Reservoir Dogs to Pulp Fiction uh, in the sense that, um, they were awful people for the most part and most of them got what they deserved. My problem with Pulp Fiction, a great enjoyable ride though it was, is it, it kind of commits the sin of making them cool mm. as well. I, I think and they're so- primarily about being cool in Pulp Fiction. Yes, yeah. And it's, there's a, to me, there's a hint of that here, uh, with the, the, they're all, 
iconic characters and they're very they're built up and they're all this is the bear Jew and this is the uh, the guy I, who I killed would like twelve to call guest out Eli Roth's performance there as, as, as Donovitz, the bear Jew, the, the the big scary guy with the baseball bat. Yeah, this is not a nuanced role, but he gives it a nuanced performance. <laughs> he he does. He's not that could have been a grunty, shouty, swingy. Uh, but yeah, he's um, there's an intensity to him that. Yeah. Um, there was a, Adam Sandler was proposed for that role for some time. I can't. I expect he would have done quite a good job. A lot of comedians are very good um, straight actors. Um, but I, I think you're right. Eli Roth is very good here. Um, and I, I suppose we've kind of segued from that initial one to talking then onto the. I suppose the time we see them in action when we see them in the forest where they've captured the German soldier. Mm. Um, I, I slightly take issue with um, the. Is this a film full of violence and gore? I, I think as with a lot of Tarantino, it's actually relatively few moments of violence and gore. They're just very. It, it's definitely trying to escalate. I mean, the, the, the frankly risible rubber skin does not show up until the final scalping. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the scalping I mean, is. Pretty... We, we both know from personal experience how thick the skin over a skull is. It's not that easy. I get, I that thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not that easy to strip off a bone. Uh, maybe my um, scalpels weren't as um, as sharp as uh, their bowies. Bowies, <laughs> bowies. Um, yeah, I, I uh, of all the things I like about this film, and I do like this film a lot, the things I like least are probably the bastards. Um, I think that's fair to say. I, they are. I, I think you're right. There's a bit of a moral quagmire around them. Um, so on on the other side, uh, we have Shoshana Dreyfus, who has now. Um, pre- I mean, it, it's not it's not, I think, suggested that she gets away because she is especially skilled. She gets away because Lander lets her go, more or less. He he could fire out into in, over the field and have a fair chance of hitting her with you know ten guys with submachine guns. Yes. Um, but in any case, she has escaped. Uh, she has got an alias. Uh, she is running a cinema in Paris. Yes. And clearly, you know, a bit on edge when, when, when a nice friendly young German soldier tries to chat her up. Yes, very Aryan, um, young soldier. But basically this is what she's doing and clearly she is, she is working for the resistance as well. Yes, I don't think it's ever explicitly stated, but it's... Well, I mean, there's no explicit resistance connection. We never, we never meet the resistance as such, but we meet these people. And any chance she gets to uh, kill a Nazi, she kills a Nazi. So yeah, yeah. seems seems reasonable. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's not completely clear what her original plan would be, but she 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 meets this German soldier. He 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 continues to pester her in a way that, all right, you know, it it is very obviously the man pestering the woman, and she's trying to put him off, and he's just not taking it. In yes. a way that is, to be honest, not often shown in film. I mean, so many rom-coms say you should just keep pestering her until she gives in. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I, I do welcome that. It is nice, to, and it's nice to be, uh, in I, a ob- way... Obviously there's the power disparity thing as well, because he is the the, the war hero and, and has friends in high places. But even without that, it works. You know, it was a bit... It reminded me a little bit of the... Um, uh, the Jekyll and Hyde, uh, Mary, uh, uh, Mary Riley mm. film we watched, where mm. he is... He's still sort of operating from the position of we're equals and I can win her over with my charm without realising 
without being quite consciously aware of the disparity, uh, or maybe he is consciously aware, but he, he doesn't seem to perceive that as a problem. Whereas for her, it's the whole relationship is about that power. Yeah, I mean, they, they that, could not true. be a relationship even if she wanted there to be. Yes, exactly. Yeah, because of this um, awful situation that, that she's in. Um, and she's, despite that, and she's, I mean, it's uh, Melanie Laurent. I'm mm. probably pronouncing that right. I think she has a, uh, she's a really good performance as well. I mean, I, I love the, the, uh, you know, the, the uptightness of her, uh, but also her bravery and that she's not, she's just, eventually she's not going to take his shit, uh, until she realises, excuse me, until she realises that he's, um, uh, he is who he is and she can actually, uh, get a pretty major coup from him. Even then, she doesn't really come up with a plan until she's, uh, pulled before, um, Goebbels in a swanky restaurant. Yeah, and, and so I- I- effectively, uh, Zola, the, the German sniper who, who's been made into this hero because let's face it, Germany needs heroes at this point. That's fair enough. <laughs> yes. Actually quite realistic. Um, tries to give her a gift of saying, Look, Josef, um, let, let's have a premiere here rather than at the other cinema we'd planned. Yes. And well, it is a gift to her. It's not quite the gift he was thinking he was giving her. At, at which point she realizes, okay, we're going to have a bunch of, of uh, senior Nazis. Let, let us lock the door and set the place on fire. Yeah, which is, uh, there's been worse plans in history. Um, I'd like again to shout out the, the, the strudel scene. Um, again, it's shot through, it doesn't escalate to violence, but it's shot through that tension that I think Tarantino is really good at. Um, when he orders her a glass of milk and you can see in her eyes, she's just, does he know what's mm-hmm. happening? What's sure. going on here? And what I really liked about that scene is right afterwards, you know, she's been quite stoic and composed, um, not warm, but as soon as he leaves the room, her composure cracks and you just see the tension just leave her. Mm. Um, and I, th- I thought that was really well done, yeah. personally. And then comes the bit where, to me, I saw all the levers moving and the flesh did not okay. convince me any, any after this. Because, okay, I mean, okay we, we, we've had the thing, we, we've had Tarantino effectively saying, here is that bit of that war film that I'm, I'm mounting here and I'm doing it a bit differently. And, and he's, he's yes. doing that a lot and that's fine. Yeah. So he, he has the bit where she, she's discussing with, um, what's his name? Marcel. Yes. Her, her lover who, who is a black man. Uh, yes. Entirely plausible in Paris at that sort of time. Yes. Um, he, he is perhaps a little less utterly committed to the cause than she is. <laughs> He's committed to her rather than the cause, I get the impression. Um, yes. but, but they're saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to lock the doors. We, we're going to set fire to the place. Uh, and, the, and there's all that film stock in the back and that'll help it burn. Mm-hmm. And then Tarantino for me utterly drops the ball because in case you weren't listening or in case you're not a real film fan, he then has this little aside explaining about nitrate film stock. Uh, narrated by uh, none other than Samuel L. Jackson. Well, the whole thing, the whole narration is, is it's, it's nicely done. Um, but that's the point at which I thought, okay, what he's, what he's been trying to do so far is to carry me along saying, you're a film fan too, you get it. Here's this yeah. thing I left for you. you, you get it, you're cool. And here yeah. he's saying, but just for those other guys, I, I'm just going to explain this again. And okay. somehow that, that, that made the, the laid, for me, I'm, I'm not saying this is true for everybody, it's not an absolute thing, but it just laid the whole artifice bare 
And yeah, yes, I, 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 I real, I do, I do in fact think my audience are idiots and have to have everything okay. explained to them extra because they the aren't really, they aren't really the film fans. I, yeah, I think that's a fair, cr- it's entirely unnecessary scene, isn't it? I mean, we've already, even if you didn't know that, the way that Marcel reacts, um, well, that's the thing. I mean, they've, they've just yeah, done a perfectly good that. job of explaining yeah. it. Yeah, that's a fair point. Did, it, what did you feel patronised? Or um, yes. yeah, okay, yeah. But but point. also, this this is what he thinks of the audience, really, when he's when he's not trying to smob them up. Okay, yeah. Ooh, I don't know how I feel about. It. I mean, <laughs> I, to be honest, I'm struggling to argue with it. I I don't. I, uh, I don't mind having things explained to me though. I mean, that particular thing I didn't, but I must say, you know, Blade Runner, um, maybe because I was very young at the time, I didn't really understand the ending without the voiceover. Now I'd much rather watch Blade Runner without the voiceover. Mm. But with it, I found it was helpful. I agree here is one of the more, um, uh, egregious examples. Like, funnily enough, the thing that took me out of it was the fact that it was Samuel L. Jackson, which I hadn't particularly noticed before. <laughs> it's a distinctive voice, one must It admit. is, but I, I must voice. say, it was very much like Tarantino kind of tapping you on the shoulder and saying, are you following? This is what's going to happen now. And, and the, specifically Tarantino, because we've got, you know, his, his favourite actor, um, well, he has good taste. I mean, he does. I'm not arguing with that, but it just felt like such a Tarantino. It, it was more that it was Samuel L. Jackson that took it out for me, because he, I, straight away, uh, he's from another era in a way, and he's not been given a character in this film, and I just, yeah, it, it took me, took me out of it. Um, but, uh, it didn't ruin it for me from then on. I, hmm. I, I recovered quite quickly, but I, I do, I do take your point. Like I say, and then, from then on, you were thinking it as a film, trying to move your emotions this way or another. Yeah, I, I, I could see the levers moving. I was sensitised to it at that point, and and okay. it just. So okay, we we got plot, plot strand number three, I guess. Yes. Yeah, so this is, um, and again, this is straight out of other war movies you've seen. We have a British, uh, is he lieutenant? Um, uh, a, a film critic, uh, Michael Fassbender, um, talked to by, yeah. um, Mike Myers, uh, bizarrely, heavily made up Mike Myers, uh, Austin Powers himself, um, with, uh, Churchill in the background being given his, his mission briefing, uh, in very, uh, <laughs> very British way, um, a, a, a uh, very unconvincing Churchill, I gotta say. I mean, I, I, yeah, it's Churchill. not just that I've seen Churchill, it's that I've, in, in film, I've seen depictions of Churchill in film and they generally do better because he's quite an easy guy to parody. He had, there's been a lot of Churchills in film, uh, uh, a lot of very good ones. Um, this is not one of those. Thankfully he's not in it very much, but yes, that took it out. I could have done the whole thing. I could have had the whole thing without Churchill. I, I just felt like, Yes, he had to be in there because he's an iconic character. It's not the most convincing Hitler I've seen either, but then mm. I've seen him. Um, well, and, and Goebbels for that matter. Uh, Goebbels I'm less familiar with sort of directly, um, so... Uh, I, I, I have done far more delving into um, <laughs> actual World War Two archives than any reasonable person should. Then, yeah, that's probably better. That was, actually, that has reminded me of another thing Tarantino does, which, like, put, freezes the frame and draws, like, writes on, like, uh, an eight-year-old has written on Herma Goering. Um, and, uh, it, it I, was, yeah, Goering and Bormann. Um, yeah, Martin Borman. Because uh, you didn't bother to introduce them. 
Yeah, I, mean, I you could have introduced them. That people are not going to be, you know, you you say Hermann Goering, people at least have the idea that this is probably senior Nazi, not a good person. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know why it doesn't quite take. I think because I accept Tarantino is going to do that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, the Goering first time was a lot fatter in forty four, by the way. He was. Uh, um, it, it, maybe he would look better in a dress, um, <laughs> but. Uh, um, uh, the first time I saw um, Tarantino do it is when um, in Pulp Fiction when she says don't be a square and she draws a square with her hand and it actually draws a square on the screen um, uh, and it, he is full of that kind of I know I'm I, and I think that goes back to exactly what you said at the start this is not a war movie it's a war movie movie um, uh, he's he's very deftly trying to make a war movie and nodding along and you all get the hmm. It's not quite the joke, but you kind of get with the program. Um, I agree that uh, those are difficult to. Anyway, sorry, we have the. We, I, I sidetracked away from uh, Fassbender. Um, so, um, British intelligence has learned that this premiere is happening, and there are going to be a whole bunch of senior Nazis there. So, so let's get them. Now, whether that was uh, something to do with Shosanna informing them, I. I, I don't didn't think get so. the impression it was. No, no. So uh, this is the worst planned high command. <laughs> Actually, I mean, <laughs> they've managed to leak, spring two leaks. Um, and uh, I guess the bastards might have learned about it somehow. Maybe that's the idea. Um, but yeah, they, they've already got two plots against them. God knows how many others are going off in the theater <laughs> by then. Uh, but then we are followed quite closely with Fassbender sort of being introduced to the other... Um, bastards um and he does a sort of the oh, spoilers for game of thrones the, the game of thrones thing where we have this character introduced um and gets quite a prolonged interesting introduction scene um and then uh doesn't make it much further into the movie with uh, with fastbender and some of the other bastards too it will so the, this, will... this is the other big attention scene for me the whole sequence in the cellar the, I, I will say that the basement scene is, is pretty, I have seen Inglourious Basterds before and I remembered the basement scene and it felt to me like the entire tension of Reservoir Dogs had been crammed into this 15 minute <laughs> sequence. Um, and, uh, to, uh, yeah, I may, I, and I think you're talking me around to have problems with the rest of the film in some ways, but this sequence sta- on its own for me is one of my favourite scenes of anything ever. I, I just I find it incredibly tense and well done. I, um, I think this is also the peak of Valtz's performance in the film. You know, he he is he knows exactly what he's going to do, but he's having fun doing it. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, it's uh, uh, well that that the the scene with um yeah where I I just it's it has that perfect feeling of um, tragedy that. If only this had happened, they could have just got it out. And if only this had happened, mm-hmm. if only they hadn't said that. Um, and if only he'd got the accent right. Um, I'd like the way that the British spy, instead of being a uh, fastbender spy, instead of being unflappable and um, not making any mistakes, which which bit, or just making off one, he, he kind of stumbles his way the whole time. He gets the accent wrong. He gets the. He kind of loses his rag at the SS officer. There's no need to. Um, to behave like that um, and, and basically he gets them all killed um, mm. but he does it with a plomb and he has a nice uh, send off as well uh, 
I don't know why they're all pointing guns at each other's balls when probably <laughs> there are other places you might want to aim at. But uh, but for me, that basement it's, it's scene... It's reasonably fast blood loss, but yeah, you, you, with, with, with a, particularly with a small caliber weapon, there, there, are, there are better quick disable locations. Still, uh, under the table, to be fair. Well, yeah, yeah. To be fair, to be fair, it's uh, I, I, I. So I did, when I think of Inglorious Passes, I think of that basement scene and yeah. how it just the tension just wrapped it up and up and up and up. Uh, and then the actual violence, I, I didn't count it, but it feels like it's over in a few seconds. Really, mm. just everyone's dead basically down there, except um, the Marlene Dietrich like the uh, the the um, uh, the German actor. Actor, uh, I'm looking uh, through the list of people. Um, Diane Kruger, uh, that's right, uh, Bridget von Hammersfart. Uh, I think it's, um, yeah, she's actually, I, I believe, more inspired by, um, Hildegard Kreef. Oh, yeah, that would make more sense, um, uh, but yeah, she's a bit too, um, uh, sociable. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, it's a great scene. It is, I don't know, and then we have sort of Aldo Rain intruding at the end, um, uh, with the grenades and the, the kind of Mexican standoff, I like the dialogue there. It's, it's punchy as well. It, it takes you out of it a bit because suddenly we're from this tense basement scene to a completely different. In the same, I quite like that. It's the same location, mm. but we're suddenly in a different standoff um, with different characters, basically. Um, I, after that, the film does lose some of its luster for me. After that. Um, after that scene, but that scene is the classic, as my girlfriend said, the stretching the rubber band. I've never seen a scene that stretches it quite, and I, I do think uh, Tarantino really is Hitch Hitchcock's heir in being able to to wring that tension out of out of a scene in a way that yeah, just... maybe one day once we've completed the the, the calendar and wrapped around we we will visit Hitchcock. It'd be nice to. It'd be nice to uh, do some Hitchcock. He's, uh, he's, he's another favourite of mine. Um, so there, the yeah, uh, Fassbender dies. Um, the, the British officer dies as long as uh, as as well as two of the bastards. Um, unfortunately for the bastards, both the German-speaking ones. Um, so they are left without an interpreter for the final stage of um, Operation Kino. Um, where they will accompany the actress. I suppose there was a bit of gratuitous, unnecessarily uh, ickiness, which is where Aldo Rain is poking his finger into the leg of the actress. Mm -hmm. I, I, I did find that a bit... Um, uh, I, I, it just didn't feel realistic or, you know, with accompanying squishy noises. It just uh, felt a bit unnecessary. And I think there... I mean, there is a... There, I, I think there, right, I do... I don't know quite the point Tarantino is making, and I think we'll circle back to this again. But yeah, I, I think there is a problem. Uh, I, my, my, I felt it was more that he was saying, "Well, it's okay because these are Nazis," but I, I don't know making your heroes behave in the same way as the Nazis is okay. Maybe I misread the point of it, but... Um... Well, as far as I'm concerned, this is a more general storytelling issue. It's not unique to Tarantino. Yes. Uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, there are basically two sorts of conflict stories or two broad classes uh, when yeah. you're in this sort of situation. You can either say, we won because we're tougher than them. Yeah. Or you can say, we won even though we obey, we obey rules of civilization and they don't. Yeah. And we're so much tougher than them that that's okay and we still won anyway. Uh, I, I will admit to a, a preference for that second sort of story. 
Yeah, or even making that a strength that, um, uh, I, I don't know how borne out that is by the real world. But, you know, ultimately, uh, the Allies had many problems in the Second World War, but they did not behave uh, well. No, there, there, there was a lot of very bad behaviour, but it wasn't systematic. No, but then I'm remembering that the, the Soviets basically won the war. <laughs> they perhaps didn't play by the the, the best uh, songbook. Anyway, um, I will uh, move aside from real moral quagmires because we get into the the final section, the uh, the climactic um, Operation Kino, basically. Okay, where... so I would say basically two parts to this. Yes. So one, we're seeing everything being set up, and we have another another brush with Lander. Uh, yes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretending to believe that you are in fact an Italian, and you're pretending to act like an actual Italian. And yes, so I did. I found that didn't create a, as much tension, really. I, I don't know quite. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of the third time Landers done this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, it goes wrong. Uh, yes. So I mean, every, everything is set up. You know, the 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 um. Marcel is, is is in place to lock the doors on at the right moment, and and so yes. on. The, the, the special uh, extra film reel, which we'll come back to, is is all loaded and in place. Yes, but uh, then Joshanna gets caught and killed, and... Uh, killing Zola in the process. We yeah. we assume, and um, basically, um, Rain and I think a few more of them get killed, and then a, then a couple of survivors end up face to face with Lamba. Uh, yeah, Aldo Rain and the, uh, it's not the bad Jew, cause he stays behind, um, uh, Eli Roth to do, to do his climactic work. Um, uh, I, I didn't quite get, have they got dynamite strapped to their legs? I think they have. I, hmm. I, or was it, it wasn't to the chair legs, cause I, it was a very quick. I, I think it's on them. It's on them, because when Aldo Rain gets captured, he's got, um, dynamite strapped to his leg too. Yeah. Um, and at this point, uh, Lander says, right. So, right, I, I now have all the cards, in effect. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like that. You know, the universe is run by enlightened self-interest, and I, I, I thought he was wily. That, this has been preceded by a scene where Lander, in, in, I, in one of the more shocking violent scenes I find, is when he uh, throttles uh, uh, the German actress to death. Uh, I, I, I don't know why, but the physical act of it in the ground, that I found that more shocking and difficult to deal with than all the kind of shooting and gore and mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, I'm not quite sure why he, I suppose he's doing that to make sure that there are no wild cards and he knows exactly what's happening and, and that he's still in control. For, for that matter, Zola is killed in the process of attempting rape. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, we're, that's we're true. We're all about the sexualized violence here. <laughs> it's uh, yeah they they were um yeah they they're more uncomfortable scenes um uh but yeah Lander turns double agent um uh, meanwhile we have so, this you know, sort of... yeah, yes I can let your plan go ahead and then the leadership will die and then the war will be over quite soon brackets this doesn't actually work but never mind um or <laughs> okay. you know I can just have you locked up or shot or whatever yeah but in the early days, sorry, I, I won't bring in much real world history. Uh, no, I would like to hear this. The, the, in, the whole in the early off days of the, of the Second of World the War, there, there were lots of um, plans and ideas about how can we assassinate Hitler because he was obviously the guy. 
Right. And he was very, very much the visible personal face of the German war machine. Yes. And sometime about 42, 43, um, the, these plans stopped being made because basically though anybody who replaced Hitler would probably have been a more competent general, less prone to sudden mad <laughs> outbursts. Okay. And would so probably Hitler was... have, have run the war better. Yep. It, apart from anything else, um, look, you know, so, say you are, you know, high ranking Nazi number two or three. Mm-hmm. And Hitler is dead because everything has been so focused on Hitler. You have to keep all the high-ranking Nazis below you happy, and everybody is focused on prosecuting the war. So if if you if you try to say Hitler is dead, we will surrender, you get assassinated by all the guys below you. Who then put someone in who is going to be a, yeah. a Hitler? Yeah. So so the feeling, at least in the intelligence side of things, was no, this actually isn't worth doing. Right. Um, but, you know, that, that well, no, is, that's, that's interesting. not the point of the film. No, but it is interesting. There's a lot of, um, uh, talk of, you know, cutting off the, uh, the leaders and then their body will die. And that's just, uh, the intelligence service came to the conclusion that just wouldn't work because of the way it's been set up. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. Uh, but then it sort of, uh, the but, cinema. But here it does work. Well, I guess we don't know for sure what happens after the film, well, but yeah. You, you do have to include Borman, of course, because he, he was, yeah, for, for about 20 years, simply because he was one of the younger, uh, high-ranking Nazis. He was the guy that, that got used in, um, trashy TV and film of, there is a surviving Nazi and they're trying, <laughs> they're trying to revive it. I remember even in the 80s, there were stories of, uh, Martin Borman's around and he's, uh, mm. yeah, um, the, uh, I don't know if he's in the boys from Brazil, but it, it's always all those sort of plots. Uh, Martin Borman cropped in and a lot. Um, then it sort of turns into a, a kind of a revenge fantasy in the cinema. Okay, now uh, th- this is where I think Tarantino is really making his point. Right. Okay. And I, I will, I will admit up front, I may be wrong here, but this is the way I read it. We get okay. um, quite a few clips of the supposed German patriotic film about Zola. Yeah. And the, the senior Nazis are, you know, he, he, he shoot, on screen he shoots an American and, and the Nazis cheer. Yeah. And you're obviously meant to feel, well, this is kind of uncomfortable, um, this is a bad guy doing the shooting, I'm, I'm not really going to join in this cheering. Yeah. And then we flip the, 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 the special reel of film in which, um, the now, now dead Shoshana says, you're all going to die. Uh, yeah. Runs. Uh, the, the fire gets started, the, the, uh, surviving commandos inside the cinema start shooting people. Indiscriminately down everyone in the pit is just shot, aren't it? Yeah. The, the, the doors are locked. And I, I think this is, um, Tarantino's point that all your film watching reflex says, yay, good guys shooting people, this is great. But at the same time, hang on, I've just seen basically this exact same film on the screen and, and the only thing that's different is, it was the other side doing it, and I didn't feel comfortable then. Should I be feeling comfortable now? Yeah, that is a fair... I mean, I... Uh, I don't know whether that was Tarantino's intent or not. Maybe it was. I mean, I, I felt like the the machine gunning of Hitler um, is pure kind of revenge fantasy. Um, like, yeah. And in a way, maybe it's geeing up that feeling of, yeah, come on, take it, you deserve it, you bastard. But I, it did, I did note that um, the French... Um, Goebbels' French translator it almost lingers more on her getting shot than Hitler 
Uh, and then down in the pit with them all shooting, it does... I don't know whether it's intentional or not, but it does seem to go on for longer to the point where you're like, hang on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think you're right. Um, I don't know how intentional it is. Well, I think maybe you are right. I mean, he knows what he's doing, Tarantino, doesn't he? It, 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 it seems to come down from the high of, yeah, to... Uh, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um... Also, you remember when we watched Point Blank um, before you know, we, yes. we went into Tarantino for the first time? I, I, there, there is a definite callback here, I, I think, which is that whole thing of we're, we're hiding behind the screen while the film is being projected. We, we oh, get, yes. We get a couple of shots of that, but, and, and I think, given that he said he was inspired by the film, I think that's probably a fairly direct piece of inspiration. Oh, I, I'm sure you must be right. He's, I mean, he's extremely film literate. He would have known any any film in, shot in a cinema, and particularly with from the backlighting. And the, yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, yeah, and maybe that is a point he's making that they've kind of become what they beheld, um, uh, and then it sort of all ends in fire as their dynamite goes off and the uh, the nitrate goes off and everything blows up and um, yeah. I'm unsure as to whether I. I mean, I think it is a fair point. I just um, it seems a bit of a straw man argument because you know such a uh, such a detachment never existed of Jewish kind of super soldiers um, on the on the other line on on the other side. But I'm not sure. Uh, well, I don't know. Now I'm thinking of um, Mossad and and what they did with the Nazis afterwards, and they did sort of. Uh, become ruthless assassins to hunt ruthless assassins and maybe there's a touch of that but I don't know I I still feel it's crediting Tarantino as something he's not necessarily interested I I don't get the feeling as I've said before that he's that interested in making moral points Mm. Um, well he's he's certainly not saying you shouldn't be enjoying violent film because that's what he's been doing so far and he's going to do it again yes yeah um that's an interesting point. I haven't really considered it from that angle. I shall have to mull on that. Um, and then we get basically the final scene of um, Lander getting everything he wanted, but then um, Aldo Rain getting his revenge on him by basically carving a swastika into his forehead, as we've had foreshadowed uh, before. Hmm. So, well, yeah. that's Inglorious Bastards. Um <laughs> I think talking it through, you have made me like it a bit less. I mean, I was so... It has some of my favourite scenes in cinema in it. The the opening mm. scene, the the basement scene, uh, the strudel scene, all the scenes where he's building, he's stretching the rubber band, as my girlfriend said. Yeah, um, it, they, the, the latter two didn't work as well for me, I think because I'd got to the point that I just don't really care about these people anymore. Right, okay, fair <laughs> enough. I... I I did have that pro- well I, I that's the thing he doesn't really make his characters likeable but he makes them cool and I'm not sure how I feel about that really um, and I, I, I felt I mean, it if, much if more if you read uncensored accounts from soldiers not just in World War 2 but practically any conflict yes it is a whole lot less pretty than, than the war films would have would have you believe yeah. and, no, and nobody comes out feeling good about what they've done even if they won. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, but I'm not sure are... that's what he's going for either. 
Well, no, these are kind of supermen in the kind of Nietzschean sense, you know, the Inglorious Bastards, in that they are absolute bastards and they're proud of it and they feel no guilt about it or shame or anything they're just like these are nazis we're going to kill nazis let's kill nazis um and be cool about it while we're doing it and i uh, uh, i i personally i prefer uh you know even oh it's a dangerous ground here but you know the problem you you de- when you demonize um uh, a whole group of people as these are Nazis, they are bad. It's just you lose any chance of winning them back over or the ones that are on the fringe. And I think that's part of the problem of today's society that we're so partisan and split. Um, uh, uh, I don't know quite. Yeah, I, 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 I'm struggling a bit because I, I suppose I feel these moral points are not quite what Tarrant, as I say, is, is, is not really that bothered by them he just wants to make a cool looking film mm. um which i think he does uh and but he's it, it, it's almost like it's a movie with the uh, world war Two as the backdrop um which i don't i don't like you know a lot well, of films i mean have as, done as a i've been worse. saying i think it's world war Two films and the stuff yes. you'd see in world war Two films as the backdrop Yes, I think that's a very good point. And I think that I don't have a particular personal objection to that. But you, yes, you have made me question a number of it. And, and certainly from the outside, I felt the bastards were the least interesting part of it for me. I was more interested in, um, Shosanna, um, and, uh, uh, Michael Fassbender's um, maybe because I'm British but I, I just I, that whole scene was uh, he's really well set up and then the fact that he's a bit of an idiot but very posh about it <laughs> I, I like um, I've got to say I mean I, th- I think there are stories to be told about um, the German film industry and the, the weirdness mm. of that uh, this isn't that story either I'd... it touches on the fact that Goebbels really thought he was uh, kind of an auteur director and that he was producing this wondrous art form whereas to the rest of the world it was quite clearly just propaganda um, and yeah, yeah you're right there's there's interesting stuff to say about that but this film isn't too interested in that either really um, uh, though I I really enjoy it you have made me question it but um, I, I it draws like any Tarantino film I've ever watched it pulls me along uh, and I just, uh, I, I do really enjoy it. even his slower ones. Like um, Jackie Brown, I was less enamoured with, but I would like to give it another try. Um, but uh, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is much slower, much less violent, and it's another kind of revenge fantasy. Only this time it's Charles Manson involved. Um, yeah, I just find him very watchable, and hmm. I kind of trust him. But I, yeah, I agree with the points you made, except about Judge Dredd. <laughs> uh, I, I would like to to mention the soundtrack because none of it is the soundtrack one would expect if if he were just saying I'm going to do the World War Two film thing. Well, it's a Tarantino film, isn't it? So. Yeah, but but it's it's also not 1980s. No, no, no mostly, it's mostly. Uh, I mean, we've we've got very much Western to start with, uh, but particularly, it's, it's, particularly um, with the bastards. Is it actually Enrico Morricone, or is it just? Uh, Trying uh, no, to emulate he, he did, it. He did want Morricone uh, to compose it, but uh, he was working on something else. Uh, he he did end up using some tracks that Morricone had previously written, but but he didn't get to write anything specifically for it. Okay, okay, yes, that's it. It's very. Uh, um, I mean, the yeah. But well, they they kind of match the genre, and because the genre is kind of 
all over the place here. It's like spy movie, uh, dirty dozen kind of buddy movie. Um, well, uh, I, I, I got basically three soundtrack themes here. One, one is yes. the spaghetti western stuff, yes. whether it's Morricone or not. Um, there's the French cafe accordion. Yes. Oh, yes. quite generic, frankly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah. you know, it's right. It's right for the period. And then uh, Bowie's Cat People theme from '82, which yeah. I don't feel it's particularly relevant. It's, it's not especially fitting what she's doing, other than she's doing. She's being a badass. Yeah. Which fair I enough. Guess, but I, I've always enjoyed Tarantino's soundtrack. I wouldn't um, track this one down. Particularly, it's it's very tonal shifty, much like the film is. Um, but I, uh, yeah, that's a fair point. And as far as the acting is concerned, yes, Valtz is great. He's he's a thoroughly unsympathetic character, but he's played very well. Yes. So I I, I did kind of feel he was really the only only actor to retain his dignity in this. But that may Ooh, be my well, bias. now you did single out Eli Roth. Um, yeah. I thought yeah. Melanie Laurent was very good. Uh, Brad Pitt. Um, I don't know if he's stretching himself very much. He's kind of playing a simpler version of his Fight Club character in some ways. Uh, I, I don't know belittle it. I just, uh, I think in a way, the way that you felt about uh, Volts, that um, you know, you said you were always aware it was a performance. For me, I kind of folded that into the character, and he was aware it was a performance too. Mm. But the one that always it, felt it, like a performance if this were the book and, and we realised afterwards that he'd never actually been giving the honest word to anybody it would not surprise me yes yeah yeah um, but the character who I felt uh, I, th- I basically I felt that about Brad Pitt it just felt like Brad Pitt this is Brad Pitt um, mm. it's not his fault he's a handsome chap and he's a very big chap, but he's subsumed himself into characters before particularly like 12 Monkeys uh, or seven, even when he's not particularly different, but just uh, he is a very good actor, and I, I'm not sure he's doing a, so much acting here as being iconic Brad Pitt guy. Which, uh, which may, to be fair, be what he was asked to do. I think he probably, uh, yeah, I think that's Tarantino's point. Probably he's got to look like this cool, tough guy, but um, it didn't work. And, and he stands in for a whole bunch of heroes in a whole bunch of different war films. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, He's like the the Lee, um, oh my goodness, the guy from Point Blank, uh, Lee Marvin type c- character, rolled in with Clint Eastwood and, yeah, as you say, all manner of other um, war heroes. Steve McQueen uh, does it so much better. Oh, I love Steve McQueen. <laughs> we haven't done Steve McQueen for Well, again, we're coming in a bit late for him, but... Um, we'll get there. Uh, um, okay, well, have you got anything else to say about the bastards? The bastards. I think that that's about it. I mean... Of the films we've watched for this, I, at the time I felt it was the one I've enjoyed least, but now I've remembered a bit more about Mulholland Drive, so maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, yeah, you, you sent me a message saying this was your least favourite one, which I, I thought was a bit harsh, um, but uh, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, but for me, I'm afraid I'm masterpiecing it because of uh, no one does tension like Tarantino, and no other There are bits Tarantino's... that work very well and, and I'm not going to say the whole thing is rubbish, absolutely But a lot of it didn't work That's fair enough, but I got, if it's got scenes in it that I just remember years later with a shiver of tension down my spine I think he's done his job I I think you're right I, I accept the criticism that in some ways he's too look at me, I'm doing a film and 
to uh, and I'm so much cleverer than the rest of you. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair point. Fair point. All right. Well, would you watch any more Tarantino, or are you done with him now? At this point, it would have to be not just this is a Tarantino film, but this is a particularly good Tarantino film because. Okay. I mean, I'm not going not gonna to put him on my personal blacklist or anything, but. Uh... What would you think this one is better? How would you rank this compared? How how much do you enjoy it compared to Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction? I think Reservoir Dogs was the one that worked best for me. Yeah, I, I think to be as an overall film for me. Reservoir Dogs is my favourite of all the ones I've seen of his. Um, well, there we are. I'm and guessing not, we, not we, a masterpiece. Not, not from me. Oh, we should say no. uh, quite quite uh, successful. Uh, it got the number one on its opening weekend. Um, second weekend, it kept, fell, fell behind the final destination, but, you know, <laughs> horror. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's better than that. Um, 89%, 89% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, okay. Mi- mixed criticism, but often positive. Yeah. Uh, okay. Pe- I, I do like Peter Bradshaw in the Guardian saying exasperatingly awful and transcendentally disappointing. <laughs> oh well. Okay. Fair enough. Um, well, our mileage may vary, or your mileage, or my mileage may vary. But fair enough. Uh, a, a slightly divisive, not as divisive a podcast as I thought. I took many of your criticisms, apart from Judge Dredd, on board. Um, I, and I think you have made me like it a bit less, which is which is hard. <laughs> <laughs> but there we are. Uh, are we doing? Are we two thousand? Was this two thousand and nine? Uh, two thousand and nine. Yeah. Should we do two thousand and nine in film, or should we save that? For well, we kind of did that last time. Uh, because did, because of the yeah. uh, release thing with um... the hurt like a yeah <laughs> <laughs> we got there in the end we we filed it away under PTSD right well there we are we've hit um, uh, probably the end of this podcast um, all that remains to remained. point out is that that was the sound of my valve pointed right at your testicles <laughs> wow this might be the last podcast we do. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,